Hey guys, Mike here for Hokey Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Former Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year in 2019, Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs. Medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family-owned business, they got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in Downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. hangover boys it's marshall week <laughs> i've never been so fired up marshall to go week. to huntington west for I, to be clear i am not going to huntington west virginia but i have never been so fired up to watch virginia tech go to huntington west virginia uh yeah well first of all for the first time this season i will not be making the trip proud to say that at this point uh but yeah hey crazy how times can change Right. I mean, you look at uh, back to 2018, which was kind of the start of the fall, if anyone's keeping track, right? When things first started to not look so hot under the Justin Fuente era, you know, scheduling that Marshall game, the final game of my time as a college student, weird game to pick up win number six following the UVA game keep the bowl streak alive. Obviously had to do them a little bit of a favor. That's why we're headed to Marshall. And to think, you know, trying to preserve that tradition five years ago, here we are five years later, opening as seven-point dogs. And to Marshall. Yeah, and, that, and, and that tradition that the Marshall game preserved is well out the window. Yeah. I mean, we're a couple of years removed from that now. Lucky us. <laughs> yeah, we lost the bull streak, and then we started another bull streak of one, and then we lost that too. Yeah, and good. In the last in the last bowl game, they got blasted too. Well, that is a uh, for anyone defending Brent Pry, I always find that to be one of the more compelling statements. Remember that bowl game against Maryland? That's the roster that he started with. Spare. I, I all I want to say is that we're one year sober from bowl games and we're going to go on two years sober. It's looking like <laughs> based on the first three weeks of the year. So maybe we can get ourselves would, it, or something. It, it is interesting being at that point where I'm like, how sweet does a military bowl appearance sound right now? I would love, 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 love a trip to Annapolis. Yeah, and, man. Imagine but, a, a random trip in December to Santa Fe. Yeah, I'm there. 
I'm there. I mean, we're rooting for the military bowl, but let's be fair. If we somehow were to make the military bowl, I feel like we won the Super Bowl, given how we're feeling right now. That would have meant that things had to go exceptionally well, probably starting with this Marshall game. The road to the military bowl starts in Huntington, West Virginia. I mean that that's a hell of a way to start the podcast. Before yes. we uh but yes, before we get into uh before we get into Marshall, I put out a tweet this afternoon and I was like, you know what, I'll just put this out from the show account and see what kind of traction we get. I asked for listener questions and we got several. And I figured instead of just previewing Marshall for 30 minutes and then calling it a night, we'd answer some of these listener questions. And there were some good ones in here. Uh so let's just start with this, because this is kind of a piggyback off of the recap episode we recorded last night. This is from uh, TC at Civil Engineer Hokey on Twitter. He wrote, enjoyed listening, mostly agree with criticisms, would like to hear more potential solutions. That's fair. Also, were many offensive linemen available in the transfer portal? I recall Pry was hired during the coaching carousel. So who would have you all chosen as coordinators? Huge learning curve with new coaches, transfers, playing freshmen, now injuries. With all things considered, I don't think they've truly been able to establish ooh, just lost my spot. To establish our identity on both sides of the ball. We've seen Wells play drones. Uh that's a totally fair criticism, right? Uh of our podcast last night. We got rolling and talked about everything that went wrong, which I think was warranted. I, I want to just tie one other question into this uh, because Brian Little uh, at Hokey Brian 706 tweeted us on the last pod, you were talking about not bringing in any offensive lineman transfers in the offseason. Didn't the Hokies sign Clayton Frady out of the portal, though? Yes, they signed Clayton Frady. Sorry to gloss over that. He was a good offensive lineman at Gardner Webb, and he's not anywhere in the two deep with a bunch of freshmen. So uh, I was hoping that we'd have an offensive lineman in the light of Frady, right? who would come in and make an impact, but he didn't even crack the two deep. So he slipped my mind. So I want to apologize for that off the top. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I'll clarify, you know, as we were rolling last night and Mike very like declaratively said, we didn't bring any offensive linemen in the portal. And Ricky is like laughing and I'm laughing too. And I'm thinking in my head, well, they did bring in Clayton Frady, but my, thought process at that time was that pointing that out doesn't change the reality of what we were talking about we meant like bring in someone capable of playing and i we don't know what the deal is with clayton frady uh there is there is quite a bit of a jump from the gardner web level to uh to the acc now you got to remember like you know it's not just like skill position stuff right you know a good skill possession guy at the fcs level can come in and make an impact like pretty much immediately but you know it's like a college to the nfl type jump from gardner webb to even like the acc uh so yeah he didn't make an impact you can say the same thing about like you know you look at stone snyder at middle linebacker like they should have addressed that and yes they went out and they got stone snyder FCS All-American. I mean, obviously there's like rumors and stuff. Oh, he came into camp like out of shape or whatever. But I mean, he must come in really out of shape, or once again, just a a missy valve, not capable of play. 
like you know you you don't think the coaches especially like the coaches have seen this team all year right like dating back to the spring the flaws that are apparent through three games i have a hard time believing were just like looking great in practice like they knew where their shortcomings were and neither of those guys still were even given a spot in the two deep you know behind the incumbent young guys that we saw in the past so yeah they just, and snyder they, and snyder's not even with the team anymore like it was like got to fall camp he just wasn't with the team anymore and that was it and frady frady i mean we haven't even heard anything about him right not even cracking the two deep that's filled with a bunch of freshmen probably tells you just about everything you need to know. So I just wanted to address that portion of the the question off the top, but in regard to the coaching carousel, who would you have all have chosen as coordinators, if not specific names, maybe the type of coordinator you would have chosen because pulling names out of a hat is a bit difficult, at least for an exercise for me, but I'm curious what you all thought of that part of the question. And if you had a response for TC, I'll just not go ahead, Andrew. I I mean, I'll, I'll just keep it super broad, right? Like someone certainly with previous experience as a coordinator, even if that was coordinator at, you know, uh, uh, a group of five schools. Someone just had a great year as a coordinator, a group of five school, maybe a little bit older, been around the game for a long time. That's my B option, my A option. Go get someone who's been a head coach, you know, have a, right. And like, this is just like an example, but it's like something that you see in like Al Golden at Notre Dame. I know it's Notre Dame, like, you know, who replaced Brent Pry, Manny Diaz. Now, those names might have been a little bit high profile. Uh, Who knows what the budgeting limitations look like there. But just someone who's at least done the job that they're tasked to do before. uh, And preferably someone who maybe has done the headman's job too, who could give Brent Pry a little bit of uh, direction, right? You have your head coach and your two top coordinators all doing it for the first time with a young and experienced team. Yeah. Dion, Dion at, uh, at Colorado. I mean, he hired Sean Lewis away from Kent state. He was Kent state's head coach was obviously a very established offensive coach. And you see what he's doing now with Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter and all of them at Colorado. So that's another good example. Just kind of built off of Rick. Yeah. I'm, Chris Marv was obviously Brent prize, like handpicked protege. Um, having coached him previously at Vanderbilt and having followed his career at Florida state. Um, Brent Pry probably would not have gone after an experienced defensive assistant to be his coordinator, especially since Brent Pry has a pretty good idea as to what he wants the defense to look like and how that, how he wants it to run. And it's a lot easier for him to instill that on a young guy who's still learning rather than someone who's kind of built his own system, but certainly on the offensive end, Someone with uh, tenured experience as a play caller would have been nice. Uh, finding a quarterback coach that would stick around for more than a year would have been beneficial. Uh, I mean, all, all those things I think are critical. Um, 
Brent Pry clearly was still learning on the job in year one as a head coach. And I think it's fair to say he struggled to manage the time between trying to call defensive plays, coaching up Chris Marv to take over that position while also being the head coach and having those responsibilities on game day. Um, having someone that he could really rely on on the offensive side of the ball would have really helped, I think, make that transition a lot easier. But going for two essentially rookie coordinators, I think, was a, a huge mistake. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that was a miscalculation by Pry. Uh, I think the point you just made, Ricky, specifically about Pry hiring Chris Marv on the defensive side, I think is a really good one, a really important point to make because you know Pry has been a very established, you know, established, successful defensive coordinator who's come up through the ranks. He's been good at multiple stops in that role. And you knew he would have that idea of what he wanted his defense to look like. Having Chris Marv, his handpicked protege, and being able to kind of install his defense, right? Pry installing his defense with a young coach who has played under him, right? And has also coached under him at other stops before as like a graduate assistant, et cetera. I think that was always going to be the path for the defensive coordinator. So I think that's a really good point you just made, Ricky. Offensive side of the ball. I think because you went young on the defensive side, I think going with another first-time coordinator on the offensive side was definitely a mistake. And I think I think Pry thinks highly of Bowen, which is fine. And, you know, you can think highly of, of your coaches and your coaching staff. That's why you pick them for the roles you pick them in. But when you're taking over a rebuilding program, and it's a young team, and you're a head coach for the first time, from an outside perspective, it just seems prudent to bring in as much help as you can in terms of guys who have been there and done that, but not so much experience that you're going to have guys stepping on your toes, right? It's a delicate balance. Uh, I'm thinking about like the Kevin Steele situation at Auburn with Gus Malzahn, right? Kevin Steele established defensive coordinator. Malzahn was in his, what ended up being his final year at Auburn really. And Steele was like trying to get him fired, like behind the scenes. It was like this huge thing, kind of like establishing a coup with like high level boosters. It ended up being Steele who was shown the door first and then Malzahn uh, coached into the next season before he was let go. You know, I I wasn't saying Pry would like run into that situation necessarily, but that's like kind of the risk you run when you're hiring like established coordinators. And it's a different situation because Malzahn had been there a while at Auburn and stuff like that. He had been to a national championship game. That's kind of an entirely different situation. But the reason why I bring that up is because if you're Brent Pry and you want to just kind of install, you know, um, your program and you want to have it run a certain way you want to bring in guys who can help you without saying hey this is just like the totally wrong way to go it could be a good thing it could be a bad thing it could backfire on you so i think prime made a mistake hiring two first-time coordinators um 
I think that was a mistake. At least it looks like a mistake through 14 games. And I think if <laughs> gun to his head, does he do the same thing again? I don't know. He thinks really highly of Bowen. He thinks really highly of Marv. So maybe he would, but just from an outside standpoint, I think especially on the offensive side of the ball, I think it would have been, it would have been good for him to kind of roll with somebody who's been a play caller at the power five level before. Uh, yeah. And just to, to draw a parallel here, right. I mean, we have somewhat of a parallel situation at a uh, Duke, right? Mike Elko, defensive guy, first time head coach. Who does he bring in? He brings in Kevin Johns, who had been an offensive coordinator at the power five level on and off since 2009. You know, he had been the offensive coordinator at Memphis and Western Michigan. Like he knew what it looked like to truly install an offense and be that on-field play caller. Just one less thing that Mike Elko has to worry about. Right? Like it, it really like it, it seems evident. I agree with everything that you guys were saying. That was always going to be the plan on defense. I don't think anyone really had a problem with that. But when you your head coach is a first-time coach coming from the defensive side of the ball, and rather having than having a guy who's like done it, done it before, you have a guy who's essentially like trying to emulate what he's seen in another program even a year removed from college football. Uh, it doesn't seem wise, right? And who knows? Maybe Bowen will have his redemption arc and he'll turn it around. But at a minimum, that decision has given us the point that we've gotten to, which was learning curve for everyone involved. And, and a bit of a slow, disappointing start to this tenure. Last thing I'll say on Bowen, at least, is his hiring at Virginia Tech felt very much like a friend giving a, a life raft to another friend. I mean, Bowen was in absolute hell in Jacksonville with the Urban Meyer situation. Bowen probably got nothing positive out of that year in the NFL. I don't know if he... Got anything he could take away from that? I'm not sure anybody and, on that staff did, you know? Uh, yeah. And any, like, new coaches to the to the NFL? I mean, Bowen was kind of a first-time head coach, or first-time head coach, first-time assistant at the NFL level, like, professional level. I, I'm i sure that there were a few other coaches on that staff kind of in a similar situation. I'm not sure any of them got anything out of that. It yeah. such a mess. So Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you're the offensive coordinator at Penn State, and you leave that job for something else and you're canned within a year. I feel like in the, uh, the majority of simulations, he's finding himself in a job where he is less satisfied than he was in the previous role that he left. So, I mean, good for him. Played the game. Well, it's not about what, you know, it's about who, you know, definite life raft situation. Jimmy Cleveland, should we expect recruits to decommit due to perf poor performance on the field? We already saw one defensive tackle jump ship for Ohio State. Yes. I mean, the answer is always yes, right? Yeah. Now, the one thing I want to say is 
this becomes more of a problem the further into the tenure you get, right? So when Pry takes over, he's selling hope to recruits, right? Uh, he's selling hope to recruits in the transition class last year. He's selling hope to his first true recruiting class uh, that's going to be signed this winter, right? Which is mostly filled out from a verbal commitment standpoint. He's selling hope. You guys can help us turn the program around. But when you start getting into the 2025 recruiting class, it's like, okay, now we have a couple years of actual like data in terms of how this program is performing under Pry and his staff. And it becomes harder to sell hope to these recruits when there's not a lot of progress being made on the field. That doesn't mean that recruits still won't come. It doesn't mean that Pry still won't get good kids in. But it becomes harder as the tenure goes along when the on-field success or lack thereof is starting to accumulate, right? So Virginia Tech goes 3-8 and eight last year. Obviously, they go into the offseason. They had a very successful, at least from a verbal commitment standpoint, we'll see who makes it to signing day. But from a verbal commitment standpoint, from a high school relations standpoint, Brian and his staff continued the momentum that they started to lay the groundwork for in the transition class when he first took over. But that was one season of three and eight football. Virginia Tech's now one and two. They're playing poorly. If this is another three win season or four win season, and you're not really showing a lot of progress on the field, I think it becomes a little bit harder to sell hope. And the further along you get, it becomes more and more difficult to sell hope. Eventually, as a coach, you need to start selling results, right? I put kids in the NFL. I put my team in position to play in big time bowl games. I recruit this area very well. And I've gotten other top recruits to come to my school and play well. I've seen recruits just like you from your school, from your area, come to Virginia tech and succeed. If you don't have a lot of those on field success stories to pull from, as you get further and further into your tenure, I think it becomes harder to keep the verbal commitments of kids through signing day. It becomes harder to keep the good kids on the team, right? In the portal era. Like, as you get further along, it becomes harder to sell hope. So I think they're still in a phase where they're, they can kind of sell hope, right? And they can continue to say, okay, you can help us turn this thing around, turn this program around. But as you get further into it, it becomes harder to do that. That's why macro level, though, it does seem like this season and this kind of influx point that we're looking at, uh, becomes you know all, all, all the more important right like obviously like this team doesn't have a very high ceiling uh we all agreed on that coming into the year but if we're looking at like floor level results you, you're essentially dooming yourself going forward it's not guaranteed but you are behind the eight ball to a degree that few people make it out of, right? Like most coaching hires in general are failures, right? So most coaching hires at an impatient, somewhat storied program where you start off by having the two worst seasons, wins and lost wise in decades, like that won't look good. But if we are talking about the road to the military bowl, not unlike, not likely, 
seemingly certainly unlikely at this point actually uh but even like five win territory right like if they can shine if they can show progress if Brent Pry has something to point to like immediate on-field success isn't necessary like you don't need eight wins right away to prove that point you just need to show here's where we were in year one here's where we were in year two year three is going to look better and by the time you're coming up as an upperclassman at the end of the decade this thing's going to be a well-led machine but the problem that we're seeing right now is it doesn't look like a ton of progress has been made from year one to year two And, and and bigger challenges lie ahead with two gettable games in the loss column now and two great opportunities that he had to have a win to point to. I won a non-conference game against a big 10 team. Yeah, it was Rutgers or Purdue, but coaching is about salesmanship, right? You, you, You can spin that. I don't care if you're the best salesman in the world. You don't have on field success to point to yet. That's what he needs. So I, I don't think the sky falls right away, you know, headed down the, the path that we're heading. But every moment where that progress isn't made, it becomes harder to change that narrative. And that's why he needs something to hang his hat on quick. Andrew mentioned several times in the last podcast when we were recapping Rutgers, the proof of concept phrase about how it's extremely important to show that what you're doing either has the, has a high probability of working or has already worked. And Brim Project hasn't done it. And um, as the portal becomes a more and more popular option for young players to either find better gigs on other teams, find more money in other programs through NIL, um, and it's extremely easy for guys to decommit nowadays. It's kind of par for the course. You know, recruiting really does not end until, you know, that second signing day, uh, unless you can get, get guys locked in early on. So this this recruiting class is certainly going to change, and it's going to probably – you're probably going to see some new guys hop in the boat later on. You're going to see some of the guys that are maybe headlining this class not sign and you're going to see them sign elsewhere and that's just kind of the name of the game these days and you're going to be on the the wrong end of that equation more often than not when you're winning three or four games a year yeah and that was one of the you know inherited advantages that justin fuente had was given the roster that he inherited you know their offensive proof of concept was there right away and they had early success recruiting, you know, very much in part because of that. Like, look, here's what we did. We took this roster, put them in this offense, and they went from six to 10 wins, just like that. You know, it's a big part of, you know, he was immediately given a contract extension because he had proof of concept. What we're trying to do works, and it can work at the ACC level. Obviously, uh, a lot of other key concepts that are required in order to run a successful football program were, were missed maybe because that immediate successful proof of concept, uh, you know, 
gave him a little bit of a early blind confidence that their way would work no matter what. But it's just tough with Brent Pry and the staff right now because even though it seems like most of the decisions that are being made, you know, from a PR perspective, seem great. And people like the personality hire, that will buy you some leeway, but can only buy you leeway for so long. The the thing that I I one of the funnier parts, like looking back on it, of the Justin Fuente era is like the roster Fuente inherited. So Virginia Tech won six games in Beamer's final year in the regular season. Um, they won the bowl game. The thing that stands out to me is that no, Virginia Tech did not have a ton of success relative to the success they were having under Beamer leading up to that point. The last few years of the Beamer tenure were pretty rough. They were still making bowl games, but not the program they once were. Fuente inherited a far more talented roster than Brent Pry did. There's no question about that. And I love how fans, because as as the Fuente tenure went on, fans got more and more irritated about the contract extensions that he received off the top, but don't really consider like all the facts around it, right? So Fuente comes over from Memphis. He's stacking up 10 win seasons at Memphis. He gets to Virginia Tech. And what does he do the first year? He takes Virginia Tech to the ACC title game, shows the exact same offense he had at, at uh, Memphis that was working, right? Brings it to Virginia Tech. The Hokies are rolling in year one, make it to a conference title game, come within a couple plays of knocking off the eventual national champion Clemson Tigers in year one. Then in year two, he wins nine games and loses to a good Oklahoma, a really good Oklahoma State team in the Camping World Bowl. He won 19 games in two years, got a second contract extension. And fans were real mad looking back on that because in 2018, things started to kind of go off the rails and it got real tough. But if you're with Babcock, what else do you do? <laughs> like, Fuente was a candidate at Florida State. He was a candidate yeah. at Florida State. Jimbo left and Taggart eventually got that job. But after year one, Fuente was a candidate at Florida State. So you have these contract extensions to keep the good coaches there. It seemed like the Fuente tenure was going to work out. It didn't. So I just wanted to bring that up real quick. James uh, James Copeland. Percentages on... James Copeland. Great guy, by the way. Uh, great guy and loyal listener and is always giving us great feedback. So shout out, James. Percentage on if Pry would A, take over the defensive play calling, and what's the percentage that he would B, fire Bowen before the end of the season? I'll take this really quick. I think both chances are very low. Do I think he could move on from Tyler Bowen? Yes. I don't think he's going to do it in the middle of the season. Uh, do I think that he will take over the defensive play calling? I don't think he would ever say out loud that he took over the defensive play calling. I think this year was all about empowering Chris Marv. I think he would prefer that Marv figured it out. I think if he takes over the defensive play calling, that's a very bad sign for Chris Marv. Right? That means that Pry doesn't trust him to do his job. Do I think Pry should be more involved on the defensive side of the football? Yes. Do I think Pry should be doing two jobs at once, kind of like he was last year? No, it didn't work. And look, I mean, having Marv call the plays through three games in 23 hasn't looked particularly good either. But it's hard to be a head coach and, and be a primary play caller on either side of the football. Uh, there are some have, coaches out there that do it, but it's tough. It's you tough can't to have two defensive coordinators on one staff. No. 
Chris Marv is the defensive coordinator, and he needs to be able to live up to that job title. And if he's not, then Brent Pry needs to make changes. I don't think Chris Marv loses his play calling uh, responsibilities this season. And I don't think Bowen would be jettisoned in the middle of the year. But depending on the trajectory of the next, what, nine games, it's certainly plausible that one of those guys is not back in the program next year. I think it's almost likely that one of those two guys is not in the program next year unless we see a rocket ship end of the season, like complete turnaround. The first, you know, couple of performances were aberration kind of deals. Like, I I don't really envision a scenario. For Pry to lose his job after this year seems almost impossible. For this team to finish well enough that shakeups aren't going to be expected uh, also seems very unlikely at this point, given where we are today. But in the middle of the season, I highly doubt it. Don on Twitter, if the Hokies go 2-10 and 10 or 3-9 and nine or even 1-11, and 11, does Pry get the boot? We would be approaching Chad Morris levels of bad at that point. I think that I'm going to go on the record here. I think Brent Pry is like a president. I think he's getting four years for this rebuild <laughs> unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong, which I guess is what Don Don is outlining here. Is right? one in eleven not horribly, horribly wrong? I get I guess that's what he's outlining here. That's the outlier scenario, I guess. I mean, look, I, I think if I'm entertaining Tony Elliott getting fired if UVA goes one in eleven, I think it would only be fair that I say the same for Brent Pry. Now, two things here. Number one. I think if you fire Brent Pry in year two of a rebuild, regardless of on-field results in year two, I think you're cutting off your nose to spite your face, right? Reason why I say that is because you are in the middle of laying the groundwork for repairing relationships in high schools in the state of Virginia. What kind of message is it going to send for your football program if you've just fired the coach after two years into a rebuild? What kind of message does that send? You haven't had good relationships in the state for six years. And then you get a guy in there who's starting to reestablish those relationships. And he's not even done with kind of procuring those into like good prospects, getting his guys into the program and seeing if they're worth anything. Like from a coaching staff standpoint, seeing if, you know, they're able to develop any of the guys that are actually theirs, they actually recruit. Well, I think well, I think it would be a disaster if they fired him after year two. Well, Mike, also, oh, go ahead, Ricky. What message does it send if they go one and eleven? I mean, we can we can sit here and say that progress would be would be halted when it comes to kind of rebranding yourself with high schools and power brokers across the state. But if and and I'm on the record, I don't think Virginia Tech goes one and eleven this year. Yeah. If the Hokies, yeah, yeah. if 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 we're going to play this game, this hypothetical game here, if the Hokies were to go one and eleven, does that not do more damage than pressing the reset button again? Yeah, I think even at one and eleven, I think it's both coordinators are out before prize out. 
Well, and and so here's the other part of this question, right? Because they're still paying Fuente. Yeah. Well, so his his question was around centered around Brent Pry and not the coordinators. So let's ignore the coordinators. For yeah, a fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, does Whip Babcock get to hire another head coach? No. Nope. Nope. Because there's another question I want to address on that. You, so that as soon as you start talking about moving on from Brent Pry. The question has to be, does Whit Babcock get a third nope. football head coach? And yeah. that's almost unprecedented in, in collegiate athletics. Nope. Yes. So and that's exactly it, right? Whit Babcock getting rid of Brent Pry would essentially be waving the white flag on his own tenure at Virginia Tech, which means that essentially Brent Pry's Ouster is going to come from above. Tim Sands. That's a Tim Sands decision. Yep, that's a Tim Sands decision. That's a board of visitors decision. And ultimately, Whip Babcock's not on the hot seat just yet. You know, baseball knocking on the door of the College World Series. Men's basketball, you know, less than two years removed from an ACC championship. Uh, women's basketball final four other athletic programs doing well yes i know ultimately at the end of the day football pays the bills yep but he's doing well enough outside of football that one more bad football season isn't going to be of immediate concern to tim sands and the board of visitors to eliminate him from his role when in reality firing pry is like him waving that white flag. They're a package deal. So, so, well, so let's, let's kind of, let's unpack this, right? As I'm fond of saying, uh, is that the right mindset for Tim Sands to have? Cause I think that's a valid question, right? If, if football pays the bills and football drives the boat and all of these other sports, right? The, the basketball teams, uh, track and field continues to be a perennial conference contender. Um, the baseball program has improved. Softball seems to be revitalized. D- does all that stuff outweigh the bad football product? I mean, ultimately, I, I don't, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I know how this would be run at programs that win conference or win national titles. Right. Like I know how that decision would be handled at Alabama. Mm-hmm. I know how that decision would be handled at Georgia. I know how that decision would be handled at Auburn and LSU and Ohio State and Michigan. Right. So if if that's going to be the mindset, which again, l- l- let's let's say it again for clarity. I don't think anyone in this podcast thinks Virginia Tech's going one and eleven. Okay. But if that's going to be the hypothetical. I'm not so sure that the mindset of all these other things are okay, so it's fine to put up with another one or put up with a one-win season. I don't think that's the right way to attack this. Okay. First of all, this is such a hypothetical. Yeah, but we are it, really going into the water. Yeah, here. like <laughs> – Yeah. God, are we, are like, Who asked this damn question? Don. Damn it, Don. <laughs> I know Don very, very well. <laughs> I was with Don earlier tonight. 
you need to text Don right now and tell him he has derailed this episode. Of he'll, he'll 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 be happy. He actually <laughs> said to me earlier, "You, Mike, and Ricky didn't address my question that I tweeted at you guys on the last podcast." Oh, so just you wait, just you wait, Don. But again, it would come down to if we're talking about one in eleven this year. One in eleven. I mean, and <laughs> anything's possible at one in eleven. Yeah, I, I, and that's kind of my point, right? It, I don't think I don't think Tim Sands can justify putting up with that kind of monstrosity of an on-field product in the most important program at the athletic department. Yeah, even if Whit Babcock has made good decisions and good investments in other programs, and it yeah. has elevated those programs to where those where they were in the past, or heights they've never seen before yeah well well, well, here's this what the espn article call uh the virginia tech athletic department a mom and pop shop yeah you know being run like a mom and pop shop uh comes from the top right it comes from the top you know the alabama the the alabama athletic department isn't independently uh you know just deciding that they're going to curve the will of the university and make athletics more important. No, that's an institutional decision. And Virginia tech throughout recent history has made an institutional decision to not take that step forward. It didn't take that step forward when they were in a position to make that step forward easily. And they've been reactive rather than proactive way too many times since then. I think they're doing a better job right now of at least trying to be proactive. But, you know, you're playing from behind. Playing yeah. from behind. But yeah, no, 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 nothing that's ever happened before would indicate that direction. But to be fair, I mean, you know, we're on our third head coach since 1986, right? And the first one they gave a really long leash to right off the bat. It ended up being a good decision. The second one, like we just talked about, won 10 games in his first year and nine years in his second. So if that were to happen, we're in uncharted waters. Let's hope it doesn't happen. Yeah. I think that more likely than not, with everything that we're saying, that, yeah, Brent Pry's probably going to be the head coach next year in the vast majority of scenarios. But... I mean, I don't know. Let's just hope it doesn't get to the point so where let we me, have to break down how encouraging the the ten straight losses looked. So let's yeah. let's kind of finish this discussion with a quick question: What record would it take for you to seriously consider pulling the plug on this in year two? Yeah. Is it two and ten? Is it one and eleven? It would probably have to be one and eleven, I think. For me, I think it would be two and ten. And I, I would be open to considering three and nine. Uh, but I, I think two and ten happens and all of a sudden you start wondering, like, man, this is like we're going backwards. Yeah. Andrew I mean, it, it really won't happen for all the reasons that we just said like 
you'd then be putting in whoever the next coach is even further behind the eight ball. I mean, you fight if this if this hire, I mean, if this hire doesn't work and you pull the trigger too early, you're setting the program back even further than I mean, I, I know like I'm not two I, and I, ten, one eleven's a concern, but like I'm not sure how much further you can set this program back, guys. I mean, getting blown out on the road to Rutgers, your dogs to Marshall. I mean, how like how much further can you can you push it back like on the spectrum? I'm not sure how far more, how much more room you got. Well, you could start recruiting like Justin Fuente did. Yeah. And yeah, have this yeah, too, true. right? So I guess that would be my concern. That that's my concern with firing him too early. And even that... with I mean, even when Fuente was recruiting in the seventies, he was still winning five, six games. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about that, which is why Andrew's tweet over the weekend was very funny <laughs> and also like had a shred of truth in it. Yeah. For as yeah, much as really. people hate Fuente, I you know, it did have a shred of truth in it for sure. I mean, you can you you can blame Fuente for this all you want. Uh, I mean, ultimately, again, I am not in the camp. Uh, let's pull the pro- plug on Pry. I haven't given up on him. Uh, you know, we have a full episode of content uh, prior where we pointed out a number of the places where we've seen shortcomings, and we are understanding that he was dealt a bad hand. But ultimately, uh. You know, when he took the job, he was signing up for the hand that he was going to be dealt. And he he's not unfamiliar with the current landscape of college football. And he's certainly not unfamiliar with the landscape at Virginia Tech, where the head coach got fired in the season where they finished bowl eligible. Right? Like, he missed one bowl game in his tenure. Like, you're going to start off your tenure by missing two. Right. It is what it is. Uh, obviously, the recruiting at the end by Fuente is a very big part of why we're in this position right now. Uh, but better in-game coaching, right? I mean, I, I had a friend text me right before we jumped on. You know, this staff has yet to out-coach anyone in-game. And when you're starting with a a lesser roster talent wise to pick up those toss up game wins, it's going to require out coaching some people. I think the biggest sign of encouragement going forward is seeing them out coach some people. If we can see, you know, an impactful and effective game plan right out the gate in the first quarter. And a team that's able to, you know, not only hang in there physically, but the coaching staff that's able to make the right strategic decisions to put the game away. You know, they, so, they know, or they should know their roster and what their roster is capable of and where those shortcomings are, but also where there's opportunities are better than anyone else on the planet. You know, we're just, uh, we're just dudes sitting here pontificating about it, but we can tell you when it's not it, it's not it. That better so, not be this team's potential. So one more thing to kind of finish this up. Maybe the ultimate reason why this wouldn't happen after year two. Uh, by my math, Brent Price buyout after this year is mm-hmm. over $13.5 million. No shot. It's just no shot. 
So we can move on. No shot. <laughs> uh, this is from this is from. I, Scott. I, I I hope by the way I hope more than anything that yeah this is now season five of this podcast right. I hope by midway through season seven of this podcast, we can look back at this conversation and laugh about how silly it was that we were theorizing about Brent Pry's demise after hey, game three of year two. Let's let's all, all hope. All we're that. doing is responding to the public, man. That's true. The we're giving the, the people what they want. That's correct. Uh, here's one. This is from Scott, not my brother-in-law. I want to make it clear. <laughs> Is there someone in the program other than the coaches pushing for Wells to start a booster or an administrator with lots of pull? I saw this circulating on Twitter and the message boards. First of all, no. Second of all, don't believe everything you read. Can we move on? Does anybody else have anything to add there? No, I got nothing. Okay. All right. Andrew, okay, like anything I'll- there? We talked about it going into the first game of the year. You couldn't lose to Old Dominion. Probably wasn't the wisest idea to throw a guy in for his first ever collegiate start in that situation, especially if the competition looked relatively equal, which a lot of the inside indicators and people within the program that leaked stuff were saying that it wasn't. That was also when Virginia Tech had you know, a healthy Ali Jennings and a healthy Jalen Lane. And Wells played one of the best games of his career in the first game and didn't look that not sharp uh, until he got hurt against Purdue. Like, for a lot of the reasons we talked about yesterday and the dynamism that drones brings and the way he can open up the offense, keep defenses on their toes. Now, I am not against the idea of keeping him as the starter, especially if the the Jennings situation, or let's just say more broadly, the wide receivers available talent at large remains the same because uh, he probably does give you a better chance to win, even if he's a little bit less of an accurate passer. But let's not say after one game that these coaches are idiots. And look what this guy did in the one game that we've seen him play. Like, you know, coaches have seen a lot more of Kyron Jones play than we have. Hopefully. I mean, I, I don't even know if hopefully, right. I mean, you obviously want the team to succeed no matter who's playing. You know, you almost kind of hope the coaching staff is right. Like the Hendon Hooker, Ryan Willis talent misevaluation, which then continued into the Hendon Hooker, Brex and Burlmeister talent misevaluation was like one of the great red flags that really uh, iced on the incompetence of the Fuente regime, right? Like they were being proven wrong by their own team, forced when their hand is forced to switch the backup comes in and turns the season around. That made them look pretty dumb, right? So it wouldn't be great to have like your first introduction to the new coaching staff being them making like the same mistake. But obviously you just want the better player to play. But there's no conspiracy around Wells. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating comfortable and officially licensed apparel featuring vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, 
discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire blue chip apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover. Hey guys, Mike here on behalf of our podcast partner, Vivid Seats. That's right. Hokie Hangover Podcast is partnering with Vivid Seats this football season to provide you with all of your ticketing needs. Heading to a game at Lane Stadium this fall, need tickets? Check out Vivid Seats. Going to another college football venue this fall? Use Vivid Seats. Checking out a concert venue even? Vivid Seats has you covered there as well. And they got a promo code just for you. That's right. Go to vividseats.com. Use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. We can't thank Vivid Seats enough for their partnership this football season. Make sure to check them out. Let's talk few... Marshall. Well, okay, so there are a few more listener questions and they all pertain to Marshall. So let's let's get into that. Um, so Marshall did not play last weekend. They were off. Uh, the Thundering Herd have started the season 2-0. and with an, an awe-inspiring 21 to 17 victory over Albany, <laughs> but looked much better in week two against East Carolina, winning that game uh 31 to 13. Marshall has a decent quarterback in Cam Fancher. He's a sophomore, he's young, um, but he's looked pretty good uh so far this season. Uh more importantly, Marshall has a very, very good running back in junior Rasheen Ali. Uh, he's already got five, five touchdowns this year, averaging over six yards per carry. Uh, he was a 1400 yard rusher, uh, two years ago, uh, got hurt last year and missed a ton of time, but this guy is more than capable of carrying a workload. He had 1401 yards and 23 touchdowns in the 2021 season, averaged 5.6 yards per carry. He's averaging 6.2 this year, like I mentioned, on 36 attempts, 222 yards and five scores through two games. Ball player. Ball player. This game is very simple for me, guys. If Virginia Tech stops the run, the Hokies are going to have an excellent chance to win the football game. If Virginia Tech does not stop the run, they are going to lose. That's it. <laughs> That's the story. The reason why we did a mailbag episode on tonight's podcast is because this game is as simple as that. If Virginia Tech stops the run, they're going to have an excellent chance to win. If they don't stop the run, it's going to be a very, very long day on Saturday in Huntington. Rick. So one of the interesting things I found when when digging into Marshall a little bit, um, there are three highest grades in run blocking per pro per pro football focus are receivers, which leads me to believe that Marshall's going to be able to maybe break a couple runs in this game because they're going to get good blocking downfield from their wideouts. Um, you absolutely hit the nail on the head regarding Ali um, slowed down a little bit against East Carolina, but still had those three touchdowns. 
I'm not I'm not sure what to make of Fancher, quite honestly. He's got a, a very good completion percentage, which is encouraging for a young quarterback, but he hasn't really had an impact, a huge impact on the games thus far. But considering what we saw last week with Gavin Wimsack throwing for 46 passing yards and completing seven passes, Fancher may not need to do much in this game. Um, Mike's probably correct in the sense that if Virginia Tech is able to contain the run, they're going to have a pretty fair shot to win if they take care of the football. Um, Marshall's offense is not all that explosive. It's really Ali or bust, quite honestly. Um, he's certainly their, their workhorse in the red zone. And this is kind of a put-up-or-shut-up time for Virginia Tech's defense to rebound from what we saw last week. We can't forget they're coming off a bye week, too. Yeah. It took a week to prepare for Virginia Tech. So, I mean, yep. again, in terms of their ability to run the ball, it's got to be the scariest part, right? Like, There's a reason they're favored in this game. Yeah. I, I want to ask you guys a question. This is a listener question. It ties right into what we're talking about. This is from Hokey Hoops, who gives us a bunch of – he tweets us a bunch and supporter of the podcast, so shout out to him. Will Marshall break seven yards per carry in this game? Will Marshall even need to throw the ball? On a scale of burnt toast to toaster fire, how toast are we without peoples in the secondary for what seems to be the foreseeable future? Uh, a few things here. Uh, back to my original point. If Marshall breaks seven yards per carry, Virginia Tech's going to lose and probably by multiple scores. Yeah. Will they even need to throw the ball? I hope so, because otherwise Virginia Tech's going to lose. Finally, to answer the question about Nasir Peoples, um, being out for a while. He wasn't even listed on the depth chart this week. We can talk about depth charts if you want. Everybody's real mad about Brent Pry's depth charts for some reason. Uh, that's circulating on Twitter. If you guys want to get real up in arms about something that doesn't matter. But uh, how toast are we without peoples for what seems to be the foreseeable future? Uh, yeah, it would be really nice to have him because then we're not subjecting ourselves to a wide receiver turn safety in the back end of the secondary. It would be nice. So did I direct, I didn't directly answer the seven yards per carry. Is that like a hard line? Like, yes or no. I, I hope not. <laughs> I hope they don't break seven yards per carry. Look, the, uh, the pirates of East Carolina, uh, you know, Oh, and three on the year held Marshall to three and a half yards per carry. When you look at Ali, most of that came on one big, break 55 yard run which they you know they all count and that's why we average out yards per carry the virginia tech was essentially daggered and i think what was it exactly a 55 yard run <laughs> uh against records yep it was of course but i'm gonna say that if east carolina can hold them to three and a half yards per carry hopefully virginia tech could keep them under seven and if they can't it's just extremely extremely bad news going forward it's tough it's not good rick any thoughts sir i'm not sure i i would expect marshall to average seven carry i i think the defense is going to be slightly better than it was last week against the run we can hope is it going to be better enough to win the game uh that's a different discussion right but it's 
it's hard for me to envision Brent Pry's defense giving up 250 on the ground back-to-back weeks. Um, that's not to say that Rutgers won't have success running the football because I think they're going to, but um, seven yards seems a bit absurd, quite honestly. So, This is from Matt. Who needs to have a breakout game in order for Tech to win on Saturday? Drones is the easy answer, so pick someone else. Hokey Hoops responded with, if it's one player, it's got to be whoever starts at safety <laughs> because he's concerned about peoples, like you mentioned in his previous question. So, guys, who needs to have a breakout game not named Kyron Drones in order for Tech to win on Saturday? Pick offense or defense, one of each, whatever you guys want to do. I mean, like, I think it would be great to see Jalen Lane have a breakout game. That's pretty tied into Drellens, but I think him playing would be a great step in the right direction before the game even starts for Tech. Uh, I'm, I'm just not convinced of Daquan Felton's ability to be wide receiver number one. I think he might be a little bit more effective of a number two. So yeah, Lane would be a very good one. Um, and you know, maybe they open up the screen game. Maybe they get some, some going with the traditional run game. Tootin. I mean, I think that the talent is clearly there and, you know, he can't necessarily uh, change who's blocking for him and make those guys better. But I think that he has the athletic ability to break tackles and make plays on his own. And, you know, in in a game like this, you know, one or two of those could be the difference, right? So can he create like that? It It would be an opportune time for him to show that. I'm going to go with, <clears throat> one of the Jags on the defensive line. So Narelle Pollard, Mario Kendricks, Josh Fuga. This would be a great time to step up in your final season and really kind of stop stop the tide a little bit here. Virginia Tech's reeling on the defensive side. No one's expecting them to really contain Marshall against the run in this game. What a sick sentence that is continue yeah so it'd be really nice if we saw some tfls from those guys maybe if they played a little bit better gap integrity uh but also blow some plays up in the backfield make make some things happen the defensive line's good i i was admittedly going to say the interior defensive line so one of pollard kendricks or fuga uh since you answered that question uh, I'm going to go with Derek Canteen. The reason why is because I think Mansoor Delane is going to start at safety. I think if that ha- happens, then you're going to have a situation where Canteen's playing corner and he's already been thrown into that. He, we knew he was going to be the nickelback, right? The sorry nickelback that, that was, you know, he was going to be on the field a good bit, but there's a difference between starting at nickel and starting at corner. And with Delane at safety, I think it's going to be all the more important that Canteen holds up his end of the bargain opposite Dorian Strong. So I think he needs to have a good game. And then I'll go with Alan Tisdale. 
because uh, Pry spoke today and said that Alan Tisdale is going to play on Saturday against Marshall. So whatever injury that he had against Rutgers late in the week last week that kept him out, it doesn't seem like it's serious enough to keep him out this week. So he's going to be ready to go. He's going to start at Mike Linebacker. A big game from Tisdale would be huge. Uh, Tisdale improved last year as the season went along. Now he's going to be playing at Mike. I am very interested to see how that goes. I hope he plays well. It would be a boost to Virginia Tech defense if they got Mike Linebacker figured out. And we haven't seen Tisdale in that role this year. Um, shit, we haven't seen Tisdale at all this year. This this would be huge if he's what able were, to play. What were some of the qualms with the depth chart? I didn't see this. Uh, people were complaining because uh, Pride's depth chart, what he releases on Tuesday, doesn't seem to really hold water to the team that's actually fielded on Saturday at certain positions. So I think one complaint was still having peoples on the depth chart. Another complaint was uh, having Grant Wells on the depth chart, even though it seems like he's really hurt. They have an or next to his name with Kyron drones and probably won't be honest about who's going to start. And my response on Twitter was like, this is not for the, like the depth chart is like kind of to appease the fans. It's like, okay, this is what the team might look like, but also Pry isn't just going to give it away to the team that he's preparing for. Like, why would he do that? So I don't oh, think he owes the fans shipped, anything. Folks. He doesn't oh, owe gamesmanship. Absolutely. He doesn't owe the fans anything in in regard to the depth chart. The he only owes thing, the fans wins and losses. The only well, yeah, you're not wrong. Well, he owes us wins. He doesn't know. Wins, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we we've had plenty of the losses. The only, the only thing that I think coaching staffs should have to owe the fans, which they currently don't, is an updated injury report. Like that would be amazing if we could get one of those that was required. Yeah. Yeah. We had that conversation on a previous podcast. Yes. Pretty much around the money. Still, once again, gamesmanship. Yeah. Ultimately, though, I mean, like, assuming that Jones is the one who starts, like, the most impactful breakout game could come from Tyler Bowen. If he can, like, this, there's no way. I mean, and Marshall might have a little bit more experience, and Virginia Tech is a flawed team. But I refuse to believe Virginia Tech doesn't have the talent beat Marshall. Correct. If coaches can come up with an effective game plan. Correct. Playing to the strength of the players that you have on the roster, which once again, I will repeat it. Like I said the other day, nobody knows who you have more than you. And you should be able to know, especially like given the circumstances, like, you know, there's no more like, this is what we're envisioning doing in year five. And we're going to stick to it. Like, no, we're going to do whatever it takes to beat Marshall. We're going to draw up a game plan that plays to those strengths. We're going to call the right plays situationally, give you the best chance to make an impact for drones who might be a little bit more limited as a passer. We're going to put him in positions where he can succeed. And we're going to take advantage of, take advantage of the upside that he has as a guy on, on the ground, you know, hopefully without getting him murdered in the process, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. If, if Tyler Bowen can effectively do that, like, easier said than done, uh, you know, obviously I didn't come up with any immediate suggestions as to what they should do in that situation. I don't get paid, in, you know, over half a million dollars a year to coach this team and run this offense. I wasn't at spring practice every day. Right. But I know that Tyron Drones was a, 
four-star recruit coming out of high school, one of the top dual threat options in the country. And through one game, he showed us that like, he's not like a total bust who, yeah, the reason Baylor let him go was because he couldn't play. And we just got duped based on potential. Like, no, there's, there's enough there, there. There's something there. To beat Marshall. There's something there that we can, we can complain about talent. We complain about depth. This team should not be, uh, we led, the, I led the last podcast with this. This team should not be multiple score. That There should not be multiple score defeats to bottom feeder, big 10 schools. And there certainly should not be bottom feeder defeat, bottom, uh, sorry, blowout defeats to a team like Marshall. This team is not that devoid of talent that it shouldn't be competing on the field with Rutgers and Marshall. That is a coaching thing. So I don't want to belabor the point, but this this should not be a multi-score loss against Marshall. It, sh- it just flat out should not be. Should not be. We, the line is what it is for a reason. The spread is what it is for a reason. Virginia Tech's down bad. We all know it. But this is not, from a talent standpoint, it's not like Virginia Tech doesn't have the talent to play against Marshall. What are we doing here? Like, are you kidding? Ricky, yeah, like Greg, Greg Schiano, Greg Schiano over at Rutgers, he got the most out of his team last week. Yeah, that's what. That's why I, Rutgers won. Got I said the most, it. Got the most out of his team. I said it on the podcast when we recapped the game, and um, I kind of alluded to it in my column today on settling the score. At some point, you've got to overachieve. At some point, you've got to punch above your weight class. You've got to surprise some folks, be a little bit better than you were expected to be. We haven't seen that yet with this coaching staff. Give yourself a moment to hang your hat on. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think beating Marshall can be a moment to hang your hat on, but it's certainly another demerit. Just and, and even in the, the world of small victories, like, like kind of like we were talking about in the last podcast, like this game is just a another fork in the road. A win can be sold by a good salesman. You went on the road in the face of adversity, a lot of negative publicity, injured roster, both sides of the ball. And you went into a hostile environment as a multiple point underdog and you won like that. You know, it's not beating Ohio state and Columbus, but it's something. Well, it's certainly better than the alternative of losing that game. Well, Ricky's point that he made, uh, uh, you know, if Virginia tech loses this game against Marshall, do we really feel differently about this football team versus a win? And the answer is really no. I mean, it would suck to lose again, and we know that we're down bad. But does it really change anything in terms of like how we feel about the program right now? I, I think the answer is no. I think we're all in agreement that this program is not where it needs to be. This team is not playing to its potential. Uh, yes, there's talent issues. Yes, there's depth issues. But more than anything right now, there's coaching issues. And I, I think... That's what we're going to learn the most about on Saturday. It's is Virginia Tech in a position to win the football game? Is Virginia Tech playing well enough, playing to its potential? If Virginia Tech plays to its potential, I think Virginia Tech has the talent to beat Marshall. 
which seems like a ridiculous statement to make. But I just think if Virginia Tech plays to its potential and plays a four-quarter football game, which is a lot to ask for, by the way. Virginia Tech has not played a four-quarter football game in 14 games under Brent Pry. If Virginia Tech plays a four-quarter football game, offense, defense, special teams complementing each other, Virginia Tech will win this game probably by seven to ten points. If not, it's going to be another really tough afternoon. And we're going to be sitting here one and three. Twitter's going to be on fire. And we're going to have quite the podcast next week to recap this game. So that's my thought on it. Guys, do you have anything else on Marshall specifically before we get into our ACC picks and then ultimately pick this game? I mean, I, I do I do think it's interesting, right, in terms of uh, I think Charles Huff, agent, did a very, very good uh, public relations job for him. Uh, during the coaching cycle when Brent Pry was ultimately hired at Virginia Tech uh, insofar as like he was like the most popular candidate on Twitter. To what extent he was a candidate in real life, I don't know. But that's kind of a little sub storyline there, right? Just he was a least... candidate. Yep, he was on the list. It's like... That could be a good, uh, yeah. It'll come up if Virginia Tech loses. Yeah, you missed it. Yeah, you know he he could hang his hat on that. Uh, so I, I I do find that relatively interesting. It is going to be. And I I don't think we can stress this enough. A very hostile environment. Uh, I would go as far to argue as playing at Marshall is going to be one of the most hostile road environments Virginia Tech faces all season. Like, and that's not a diss on Florida State. Florida State obviously got a lot of fans, but they're going to be coming into the game ranked number four uh, without much. The roll the helmets out there. Game. Fear yeah. of yeah. losing to Virginia Tech. For Marshall, this is their Super Bowl. Uh, it, it is a very proud football tradition at Marshall in Huntington, West Virginia, uh, you know, dating back for years and they want to stick it to us. And they know that they have a biggest favorited chance to like, that's not something that Virginia Tech's going to see on the road against Louisville and Boston College. And we lost Andrew. <laughs> while while Andrew the face the, the the face that he was frozen on before his call dropped was hysterical. He was like mid sentence and just had his mouth open, and then that was it. It just <laughs> dropped. That was it. Well, while Andrew works his way back into the podcast, uh, last thing I'll say: you want to change my viewpoint on this game or, or in this program right now beat Marshall by 14. Like, yeah, that yep. would be, that would be a situation where I would look and say, okay, Brent prize overachieved. They have defied the odds. They have gone above and beyond and done better than what we expected. So you go out there and you kick Marshall's butt by 14 points. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a lot better about things. Andrew, Look, we're still in transit. Back. We're still in transitive property territory here. Like Mike <laughs> mentioned before, 
Pitt doesn't look good. Uh, Wake Forest almost just lost to Old Dominion. They, they won that game by three points. Uh, Boston College is trash. UVA actually looks better than we thought they might, but still, you know, not a very promising team. Like, wins on the schedule. And if Virginia Tech goes out and beats Marshall by 14, like, yeah, you know, this has, if the coaching staff can coach some wins and the injuries don't continue to pile up, maybe we can get to five. You know, you're at two, you need three more. I just named a couple of the opportunities. But if you go out and lose to Marshall by 14 or even 10, uh, yeah, we, have, we all know what direction this train is heading in. The best part about Andrew coming back was the, like, 45-second tour of his of his house <laughs> or dwelling tour. there. Because... We got a tour of the apartment. <laughs> so for those who are listening, you obviously can't see what we're seeing. Andrew is talking. It's literally just showing the ceiling of his house the entire time. Getting so riled up on this podcast, first of all, <laughs> killed my computer. I had to move to the phone. And uh, now I'm just angrily pacing. And anyone, anyone who knows me knows that me angrily pacing, not angrily, but just, you know, I, anxiety-ridden, I guess. Pacing is a, a common occurrence in my life. But uh, now Andrew, I'm riled up. Andrew is anxiously pacing his apartment or house at 11.42 p.m. on a Tuesday. Just in time for us to make our ACC picks <laughs> against the spread. Friday night, NC State 2-1 and one on the road in Charlottesville against Virginia, who was winless. NC State a nine-point favorite. Andrew, who do you got, buddy? I just kind of juiced up UVA in there, little quarterback. Uh, now, give me Brandon Armstrong winning in a familiar place. This is Brandon Armstrong's get right game. Give me the Wolfpack. I, too, have the Wolfpack. Uh, one of the games of the weekend, Saturday noon abc number four florida state is in death valley against a strangely unranked clemson clemson coming off a blowout win over florida atlantic florida state coming off of a look ahead spot against boston college where they didn't look particularly good florida state is a two point favorite. that's it Knowles, Knowles. without question andrew Give me the Knowles. Florida State's the better team. They got some injuries on the offensive line. This line doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to go with Florida State because I think they're better. It would not shock me if Clemson won the game, which would have been a fine take before the year, but after how Clemson looked against Duke. By the way, that that loss is aging pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Duke, yeah, that's Duke, true. Duke's Duke's looking good. So maybe that's that loss will end up not being quite as bad uh as we think it is, especially if Clemson is able to to pull off an upset at home. By the way, Clemson is very, very good in Death Valley. Uh that loss to South Carolina last season uh at home was the first loss that Clemson had since I believe the twenty sixteen season at home. So they had not lost a home game in like six years. So they're very tough to beat in Death Valley. So just keep that in mind. 
Army on the road at Syracuse. Army 2-1, and one, Syracuse 3-0. and oh. Syracuse has looked very good coming off of a nice win against Purdue in West Lafayette. Syracuse a 14-point favorite at noon on the ACC Network. Andrew. I mean, give me Syracuse. I don't know. The Purdue litmus test was passed. Is that a thing? Yeah, that's fair. Rick? Garrett Schrader is good, but I have a feeling Army's going to cover that. So yeah. give me Army with the points. Army's running a different offense under Jeff Munkin because the uh, chop block rules changed. It's now hard to block below the waist because of some rule changes. So Jeff Munkin decided he was just going to change the offense, which I think is interesting because I think Jeff Munkin also, even though he just signed an extension with Army, by the way, I think Jeff Munkin might be revitalizing his offense to make him more appealing for other jobs down the road. That's just the thought I have. He's going to get a few phone calls. I mean, he's a great if coach. If he hasn't already. He's a great coach. Number 18, Duke on the road at UConn. Uh, Duke 3-0, and looking very good. UConn 0-3. Uh, don't let the record deceive you. UConn has actually not looked terrible uh, through their first three games. Duke is a 21.5 point favorite. Connecticut. Give me the Huskies to cover that. Andrew. Uh, so for those of you that know me or have been listening to the podcast for a long time, you're aware that my dad is a Duke alum. He's very excited. You know, we talked earlier about the joy that a military bowl appearance can bring a fan base and my dad certainly enjoyed going to the military bowl last year in year one under Mike Elko. Uh, he attended that game in person. He was very happy when we were tailgating for the Rutgers Tech game on Saturday to tell me that Duke was an 18 and a half point favorite against Northwestern. Well, they covered that. Beat the brakes off them. And they'll cover again. Yeah, I'd like Duke to cover here. I don't think I gave a pick in Syracuse Army. I actually like Syracuse to cover there. Uh, I like Monken. I think Syracuse is too talented. I think Army will be annoying, but I think Syracuse will pull away late. Just want to slide that in there. Uh, number 20, Miami at Temple. <laughs> Why? Uh, Miami is a is this the is this favorite. forever coined the Manny Diaz Bowl? It's just hilarious, man. I don't get it. Why are they why are they playing at Temple? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take is Miami. Is that like a punishment that they like imposed upon themselves? Yeah. Multiple like, failed coaching hires from the same school. Like, yeah, I just don't know why they're twice from I, them. I, you actually have to go visit them. I just don't know why they're playing there. Uh, it's going to be a very weird atmosphere. They're playing at the link, by the way, uh, the Eagle Stadium. So that'll be interesting. Uh, it's just Miami looks really good. Temple is re- uh, they're two and one, but I think Temple has a chance to be pretty bad. Uh, give me Miami to win and cover here. There's going to be a pretty big talent disparity uh, in this game. I have a sneaking suspicion that Miami is going to come out a little flat. I was going to say, I was going to say uh, the talent deficiency thing that hasn't stopped Miami before. Yeah, exactly. Ask uh, Rick Stockstill. Yeah. Give me the owls to cover that spread. T- 23 points is a bit much. I think I don't hate it. Andrew. There's an X factor in this game. And his name is Quincy Patterson. 
Oh, Temple. God. <laughs> we've, we've gone off the rails, boys. Dear God. Okay, Boston <laughs> College, uh, one and two. Is Andrew going to give his pick? <laughs> huh? He did. He, he picked Temple. No, oh. I'm taking Temple. He oh, okay. Temple. He said I, Temple. I didn't hear that. Yeah, I think he's averaging that. a yard and a half per carry so far this year. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out, Quincy. Uh, <laughs> Boston College is bad, but they played their game of their life uh it's the best game that boston college has played probably in two years last weekend against florida state they're playing louisville louisville's three and oh they're a 14 point favorite 330 acc network i am taking louisville i don't buy it with bc i think bc got real excited to play florida state and i think florida state was looking ahead to clemson i still think boston college is very bad i not sure if louisville is necessarily like as good as everybody thinks they are I think it's a schedule thing. I don't think we're going to learn any more about that this week because BC is so bad. Give me Louisville. You know who hasn't played particularly well this year? Jack Plummer. Mm -hmm. You know who has played particularly well this year? Jamari Thrash. That guy is a stud. Yep. He is a game wrecker on offense. I'm going to take the cards to cover that spread at home. BC almost lost to Holy Cross. They almost beat Florida State, though. Nah, give me, uh, give me Louisville. Thanks for uh, the Holy Cross reminder. Dear God. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, that was just two weeks ago. I mean, they're not even that far that's removed. Good, that's quite the uh, going to be quite the emotional roller coaster. Like you have a win that feels like a loss, immediately followed up by a loss that kind of feels like a win. That's. <laughs> That was incredibly well said. I, I agree. Uh, Georgia Tech one and two, uh, heading to Wake Forest. Wake Forest survived Old Dominion, which I mean, anytime you go play in the seven five seven, Rich, you know it's a hornet's nest, right? Wake is a House four point. Wake's a four point favorite against Georgia Tech. This thing just keeps shrinking in Georgia Tech's direction, and that's why I like Wake Forest. Give me Wake here, winning cover. Anything so, inside a touchdown, I promised myself I'd take Wake. So, so Tyler Van, we just got to talk about Miami Temple. Tyler Van Dyke has had a pretty good year this year, eight touchdowns mm-hmm. to one pick. You know who's having a better year? Haynes King. Yeah. So, give me the Ramblin' Wreck to win this one outright. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> Andrew. Just the reminder, folks, tune into the CW. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to slide that in there. 6.30 p.m. on the CW, by the way. What an God. odd time slot. Yeah, That's weird. how you know you made it. When you got that 6.30 <laughs> slot on the CW. God. Give me uh, give me Coach Muma. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to pick against Chase. I don't think Andrew has ever picked against the Wake since Chase has been there. Nope. <laughs> not gonna stop now uh number 17 north carolina is at accrisure stadium the Where? former ketchup bottle there we go to play against pittsburgh carolina seven and a half point favorite yeah i mean give me the tar heels Pitt can't stop. i mean Pitt can't stop the run and carolina can really run the ball this year carolina's defensive front i think is kind of feisty as well and phil Dracovic is total ass so yeah, give me Carolina. 
I mean, Dracovic's terrible. I, there's no two ways about it. He's just off. He's terrible. Drake, yeah, Drake May has not been the ACC Player of the Year. Like, hasn't had to be expected. And hasn't he had, hasn't to be. had to be. Yeah. Uh, the He's North been Carolina, good. Carolina's defense has been better than than I think many expected. So Tar Heels are going to roll in this one. Yeah, man. I May May's been good, but he just hasn't had to do. I mean, he threw for like 450 last week, but that was the first time he's really had to do anything. And he's he, got four picks in three games. It's yeah, not good. Yeah. Andrew? I'm rooting for there to be further evidence that Pitt is a gettable game. (laughs) I like that. And I do believe that Drake made a bit of a stunt. So, we're going to go with UNC here. He is a bit of a stud. Finally. Well, actually, I, I want to throw one more in here. Notre Dame, Ohio State in Ooh. South Bend. Uh, this is, I mean, Notre Dame's a full voting member, so we're going to talk about this game. This is like one of the biggest <laughs> games of the weekend. I, we'd be remiss not to talk about it. Uh, Notre Dame is a three-point underdog to Ohio State at home against the Buckeyes. I, I think it's going to be a fantastic football game. I hope it's a fantastic football game. Game day is going to be there. Big deal. One of Notre Dame's three gigantic games on the schedule. Ohio State hasn't really uh, shown themselves to be the full package yet. Notre Dame really has only played against NC State to really show what they're made of, and they look pretty good down there in Raleigh. Uh, Picks? Thoughts? The best quarterback in this game is going to have a gold dome on. So... I'm going to take Notre Dame with the upset. I, yeah. I think I think they're the the better complete team. Um I'm not, I think Ohio State solved their quarterback problem. I'm not quite sure. Marvin Harrison is a monster. Yeah. Travion Henderson is also a monster. But that Notre Dame offense I think is as good as it's been in at least a decade in South Bend. They're uh, tremendously talented in the backfield. They can run the football. Sam Hartman gives them something that Notre Dame has lacked for several years, which is an explosive passer. Give me the Irish. This may be a really special year for Notre Dame. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm obviously I'm a fan of Sam Hartman. And I, I think that looking at Notre Dame this year is just a perfect example of you know, how NIL is changing the game, right? Notre Dame has been unable to really lock down that quarterback position. You know, I mean, obviously they had a professional in Deshaun Kaiser at one point. That team wasn't very good. It was flawed otherwise. But the you know, quarterback's the question mark, and you can just go and pay a million to a guy who's done it for five years at the collegiate level and done it at a high level. I mean, the ACC's all-time leading passer. Right? So far, it's Looks like it's fit like a glove. I, I kind of thought going into this year that given Hartman's talents and credentials and what he was able to do with Wake Forest teams that are certainly far less talented, very well coached, but certainly far less talented. Uh, and yeah, I, I think this is a big opportunity. Notre Dame needs that. I feel like in the Marcus Freeman era, that signature win. Right. Like we're here kind of win. And 
Sam Hartman's the, the perfect quarterback to bridge that gap. And this is the game to do it. I think they will. Yeah, I, I'm picking Notre Dame, too. And it's a little odd to say that, like, Notre Dame in a huge game like this against a team that's been a perennial playoff participant. And Notre Dame's been to a couple playoff appearances as well. Like, let's not get that twisted. But they get to the playoff, and then it just seems like they've always been a quarterback short, right? They've had the talent at a lot of positions to compete at that level with some of the best teams in the country. But they've always been kind of a quarterback short. And Ian Book was a a good college quarterback, no doubt about it. Sam Hartman gives them a difference maker under center that they haven't had in a very long time. I was thinking like Kaiser's probably the last like really good pocket passer they had, but he wasn't nearly as good as Hartman. And I'm thinking back for Notre Dame, like Everett Golson had a big arm when they went to the national championship game in 2012, but he wasn't nearly the player that Sam Hartman was. So you're going back to like Jimmy Clausen, really <laughs> like Jimmy Clausen, Brady Quinn. We're talking like late two thousands. Yeah. For Notre Dame to have a quarterback like this. I agree with Ricky. I think it's going to be a special year for Notre Dame. Uh, I think Notre Dame's playoff good. I think this is the moment where they prove their playoff good. And I think this could be the year with what they've shown defensively, how they've run the football so far. They have really good young wide receivers, very good tight ends. No, Michael Mayer's not on the roster anymore, but they have good, good young tight ends that have played well so far this year. The key here is if Notre Dame moves the ball in this Ohio State defense that has been very good, um, Ohio State played a very good game against a Western Kentucky team last weekend that has a very good offense, like a top 15 or 20 offense in the country, and Ohio State really gave them hell. If Notre Dame's able to have some offensive success in this football game, able to run uh, run the ball well, if Hartman can make some throws, I think Notre Dame will win this football game because, like Ricky mentioned off the top, the best quarterback in this game is going to be playing for Notre Dame. Uh, we either find out that Kyle McCord is a dude, a quarterback for Ohio State, something he hasn't shown yet, or we find out that Notre Dame's for real and they're a playoff contender and they're one of the best teams in the country in a year where there haven't been a lot of teams so far who have stood out as like they're the team to beat yet a month into the year. We haven't really seen that. So I like Notre Dame to win this game in South Bend. I think South Bend is going to be insane on Saturday. That's going to be one of the loudest crowds they've probably had in a really long time. Electric. Notre Dame's got this game against Ohio State. The Irish still have a game at home against USC in mid-October. And Notre Dame also travels to Death Valley to play against Clemson. That's a three-game gauntlet. If Notre Dame even goes 11-1 and against that slate, I think they have a, a very good opportunity to make the playoff in a year where, you know, at least early on the month of September, there haven't been any, like, teams that have stood out from the rest. If Notre Dame goes through that gauntlet of three games, two and one, and wins the rest, they have a great chance to sneak into the playoff anyway. So give me Notre Dame. Finally, our game. Virginia Tech heading to Marshall. Marshall currently a five-point favorite noon on ESPN2. Oh, man. I'll just go, and then I'll cede the mic to you guys. I'm taking Marshall. I have no reason to pick Virginia Tech. Prove it to me. Um, If Tech stops the run, I think they win the game. I want to be on the record with that. I think if Tech stops the run, they win the football game. I expect Kyron Drones to play well. 
I have a feeling this could play out similar to what we saw at Rutgers where Tech maybe digs themselves into a hole and it's playing behind the eight ball. And this team just has to stop doing it. We haven't really talked about that enough on this podcast, how Tech just keeps falling behind and having to crawl back. We've touched on it here and there, but like that stuff needs to stop. <laughs> like They need to stop getting down multiple scores and crawling back. They are not good enough to to continue to do that. But yeah, give me um, give me Marshall to win. I'll say Marshall covers. I'm, I'm going to take the thundering herd by a touchdown. If Virginia Tech stops the run, I think the Hokies win this game, and I think this could change the trajectory of the season. But I am not confident enough right now to pick the Hokies with the state of the defense against the run, the propensity of Marshall to run the football, and the question marks that Virginia Tech has from a health standpoint across the roster. Just not confident going into this game on the road against Charles Huff and Thundering Herd. So give me Marshall. I don't like the bye week for Marshall. I don't like the massive home field advantage that Marshall's going to have. I don't like the matchup in and of itself. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't like tech, but I just feel like and maybe I'd feel differently if Tech had been able to, or if Tech had been one last week. But I, I think this is the first time really, that this team really, and the staff really has fire under their ass. And with a game thrown under their belt, I hope. And I'm kind of banking on the return of Jalen Lane here. They can make some stuff happen offensively. I think if they can hold Purdue to a similar rushing performance, like excuse me, hold Marshall to a similar rushing performance that you did against Purdue, you know, don't expect it to go from terrible to great overnight. But I, I don't expect Marshall to be as effective. You know, and maybe it's my heart talking, but I'm I'm gonna go with Deck. Hell yeah, Rick. I really want to pick Tech in this game. Yeah, Marshall is one dimensional on offense, as far as I can tell. Their defense has been pretty good early on. Uh, they've put up some pretty decent numbers. Uh, they've got like ten sacks already which is impressive. Uh, Sam Burton has three and a half tackles for loss. Uh, Marshall's defense can certainly be disruptive. The turnover issues in the Rutgers game may have been ultimately what kept them from keeping that game close. But after watching Virginia Tech struggle as much as they did to stop a one-dimensional offense, last week I can't sit here and 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 say that Virginia Tech's all of a sudden going to do that in this kind of scenario Andrew's absolutely right when he says that this is Marshall Super Bowl the Thundering Herd are going to be as amped as they've been for a game in quite some time cannot start slow Virginia Tech has struggled to get off to good starts 
throughout the their early part of their season. They still don't know who the quarterback is. They've yet to establish a consistent ground presence on offense. The pass rush comes and goes. The rush defense is really, really bad. And as as good as Virginia Tech's secondary has been in limited targets, if you're going to give up six, six and a half yards a carry, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go with Marshall. I think they cover the spread. I'll go... Mm. Give me 20, 28, 21. Oh, the there you have it, folks. The recap will be interesting. Almost two hours on a Marshall preview. <laughs> we needed the mailbag to get there, but we got there. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Some would argue that uh, two hours is a long time, but, you know, I, I think we're at a weird inflection point, and I think this podcast is uh, especially good in those weird inflection points. That's what the numbers Again, suggest. though, like, I, I really do hope that this game puts me in a situation where I can start tricking myself into thinking, you know, there's brighter days ahead, like this season. Yeah. Like, I, I hope you get, you know, not only a Virginia Tech win running away, but NC State, you know, houses, Wake loses, UVA, excuse me, NC State's playing UVA but whoever's playing it, you know, they get trucked. And you start seeing wins on the schedule. And you start seeing, uh, you know, what we've seen in Smallsburg. And one thing I can't say enough is that at least offensively, there have been moments where the team has looked competent. Same could not really be said at any point last year. Yep. Anytime they got something going, it was like a fluky thing. Yep. Or the game was already over. Offense looks sharp in the second half against Old Dominion. It looks sharp three Wells injury against Purdue, at least in that second quarter when they, you know, came back and tied it up at 17. Last year's offense couldn't come back and tie it up at 17. Moments against Rutgers. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of potential there. It's just the tiniest bit. And I hope we see it in four quarters. I do too. I do too. Brick, closing thoughts. Thanks to everyone that's been listening. Uh, we've had some really good numbers before the year, and we've, we've had some really good numbers so far during the year. Lots of folks tweeting at us with questions and, and all that. We really do appreciate you guys. Make sure you leave a review, follow us on whatever app you're using to listen to the podcast. Make sure you go uh, patronize our sponsors. Um, we're very, very thankful for everyone that's supported our podcast, especially Jeremy Counts and Main Street Pharmacy. Uh, follow the boys on Twitter, and we'll see you guys after the game. Maybe Sunday night, Monday. We'll see. Mm. Yep. Yeah, the Spotify reviews go a long way. 
right? And yeah, I'm not one to beg for reviews, but if you've been listening to this Marshall preview for two hours, I hope you like the product that we're putting out there. We, we really appreciate you listening. If you so, don't, if you have listened to the entire episode and you think it sucks, might I suggest you do something else with your time? Actually, like shout out shove, to that Rutgers guy that was hate listening to us <laughs> for a week. Mike, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Rutgers guy listened to us for a week and then told us that we're playing in a pot. We're a team that had everything pass us by, and we play in a poverty conference. I mean, hey, baby. Your listens still pay the bills, you know? So, <laughs> shout out to that okay. guy. Well, I don't know what bills you have. <laughs> uh, the candy needs to be paid for somehow. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's like... God. Uh, no, it's all good. But, yeah, if you're listening, we appreciate you. Uh, you know, be active. Get involved in these mailbags. We'll definitely do them from time to time, uh, at least. And, you know, I'm assuming if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you know, you have other friends that are Virginia Tech fans that they're interested, uh, you know, spread the good word. Yeah. Last thing I'll say, shout out Andrew Sealing, been the MVP of this podcast. At least the second half. <laughs> Pass in the first half, not going to lie. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Let's hope for a Virginia Tech win. Go Hokies. <laughs>